Bloodbath and Beyond, Episode 8. I'm Casey Mitchum. And I'm Burton Cody. And tonight, there's going to be a jailbreak, because we're talking about Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger in Escape Plan. The mind of a man can find works differently than someone on the outside. A successful breakout depends on three things. Knowing the layout, understanding the routine, and help from outside or in. You don't look that smart. Codename the tune. Phrase anywhere, it's here. Where is here? I don't know. This was a setup. Somebody wanted to bury me. You have a choice. You can die in here, or you can get out and punish. Who put you here? Um, this is, uh, I believe, their very first movie. They've really done together and acting together. This is this does not count the cameos of those wonderful Expendables movies. Wonderful with those air quotes, of course. Um, yeah, as far as we know, like this is the first full-length movie that these two have appeared in for nearly the complete runtime together. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, there's there's been little cameos and so on, but you know, this is a uh, this was kind of the action movie that they that everybody hoped would be the action version of Heat, and I it probably came twenty years too late. It, it has um, their ages have significantly caught up with them. They're both well into their sixties now. Uh, thankfully, though, uh, I'm just gonna bring up a, a good quality of this movie of something it did not do. This is not some sort of nostalgic vanity project. This is just a straight-up movie to tell a story. Oh, absolutely. I, I think I think it's on par with the kind of movies that uh, they used to make, like Cliffhanger. You know, it's it's very much it's a very much a B action movie, but that's all it aspires to be. Yeah, it's extremely watchable. It's not bad. But a uh, fair warning, first off, um, you can't explain a good escape without going into spoilers and we've even though we've typically tried to shy away from spoilers with new movies uh we've kind of just decided to go whole hog this time and we're gonna pretty explicitly uh show all the magician's tricks at work here so this is a spoiler intensive episode proceed at your own peril yeah we will be discussing the kind of the general plot at first and then kind of go into our own likes and dislikes about the film the the plot's a little muddy though so it's please, not the greatest script in the world. So please forgive us if we uh, if we stumble a little bit over our plot summary here. Uh, not everything was laid out clearly. But right. let's so, hop right uh, into it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so well, Sylvester Stallone plays a uh, a former prosecuting lawyer named Ray Breslin who decided to move on and co-own a Los Angeles-based security firm called Breslin Clark. And Breslin Clark's specialty is to to, uh, test the reliability of maximum security prisons by having Stallone uh, placed into the prison artificially as a as a prisoner they they falsify his records he gets fake names and he's put into prison and then he breaks out to show all the weaknesses of the guards habits and the building's framework and so have you the movie actually has a pretty strong opening demonstrating what he does for a living yeah it was a really good sequence um it's pretty simplistic but just watching watching the methods really uh, builds up Breslin as kind of the uh, the, the modern day Harry Houdini of of supermax prisons. It's actually very similar to the movie Sneakers, but Sneakers was about a guy who breaks into uh, high rise or not high rise, just office buildings, expensive office buildings with high tech computer security. Um, Robert Redford, a mincing suit that doesn't really have much use other than. Yeah. Actually, I'm never I'm never really clear on what his purpose in that company is. Maybe he was I, the money man. I think he was. He's, I think he even said he was the numbers and money man. Okay. Uh, he's always putting hand sanitizer on. All right. Well, there we go then. And and uh, and Hush, who is played by uh, Curtis Fifty Cent Jackson. Fifty Cent. Who's taking on the uh, the role of well, Stallone refers to him as his techno thug. Which... It was hard because. When Fifty Cent talks, it I feel like he doesn't enunciate well enough, and maybe it wasn't as hard to believe. It was harder to believe as a, a super hacker. I think Stallone and Fifty Cent were having a who can say the most dialogue while opening their mouth the least contest. So <laughs> anytime they were talking to each other, it was really unclear. Well, clearly you can't dethrone the heavyweight champion. No. So, uh, 
No, Stallone is far more incomprehensible. Um, but yes, so this he has this team. They've built themselves up. They've built a great reputation. Uh, Stallone's been writing books about all the flaws in these prisons, which you hope doesn't get into the hands of the people he's trying to prevent from breaking out. But uh, Until one day, a... Uh... A woman who claims she's a CIA agent and a CIA lawyer, I think she specifies. She looks like she's about 19 to me. Uh, uh, has a proposition for Breslin's company mm-hmm. about putting him inside of a maximum super secret prison to hold like the worst of the worst bad guys. But there's some catches. There are catches. His team can't know where he is. He can't like he he like he his record is sealed. Generally speaking, he, it it they keep saying it breaks every protocol that Breslin has set because in the even in the opening sequence we see that he sort of parts of his plans rely on his teammates giving him outside help. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, with the opening sequence that showed that one way he got out of prison was by causing a diversion. Amy Ryan blows up a car. Yeah, just kind of walks away from it. Cool guys don't look at explosions style. Cool girls, cool, cool girls don't either. I suppose not. Why wouldn't they? Uh, but so yeah, he's placed in this maximum security prison. Uh, in fact, they they plan it out. They put a they put a tracker in his skin. Their hope the team is still hoping to keep track of him. Uh, but he's abducted in New Orleans, where they're where they've agreed to meet the uh, the. The, his prison his prison guards immediately remove the tracking bug and knock him out. Yeah, even uh, while he's being transported, he's drugged, and he sees that one of the guards is just this super belligerent Bluto type, and he just stabs some guy to death right in front of him and throws him out of a helicopter before Stallone blacks out again. Played by uh, Guy Ritchie movie staple Vinnie Jones. Vinnie Jones, the poor guy... I don't know if he really is like this nasty thug in real life, but he—I mean—he looks like he's—he looks like he's played a lot of rugby. Yeah, actually, I think wasn't he a pro rugby player? Oh, there we go. <laughs> Someone, we go. please look up IMDb forums or some or uh, trivia. I think he played rugby like professionally. Oh, could... well, uh, but yeah, he's he's put into this prison um, and immediately finds out that he's been conned. Like this, yes. this, this is not the typical job. He he already realizes after he sees the man stabbed to death and thrown out the helicopter that he's he's in way over his head. Mm-hmm. And so he's he's giving like what he calls the safe word they gave him. He, you know he's he's already trying to get out of this job because he's seen that it's not the typical prison. It's this weird building made of like giant plexiglass cells. <laughs> yeah, the, he wakes up inside of a cell that's. It's just, yeah, plexiglass, and he's arranged in sort of like a hexagon with a bunch of other guys, and they're all in sort of their own little pod areas where they can be uh, observed at all times, at all angles. And the uh, the warden of this prison uh, is played by Jim Caviezel, uh, Jesus from The Passion of the Christ. Um, uh, and some guy on some CBS show now that nobody, I don't know, I don't watch I, it. Yeah, me neither. Uh, but Caviezel's uh, not so bad here. I mean, he's he plays a pretty... A whispery, slimy bad guy. Yeah, it's perfect for this kind of movie. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and we come to find out, too, that uh, that it seems like Caviezel has sort of modeled his entire prison after his fascination with bug collecting. Yeah, he's, he's really into butterflies, and he's also an admirer of Breslin, but he doesn't know what Breslin looks like, I guess... Because he has a copy of his book sitting on his desk. Yes. And I guess Breslin didn't put a picture of himself because I guess he didn't want to incriminate himself for when he goes back to other prisons to infiltrate them. So in a way, I mean, Stallone has been the architect of his own imprisonment. Yes. Oh, the irony. Oh, the irony. He, yeah, he's, he's written such perfect detailed instructions out of, how, of how to make an unbreakable prison that he is... Now you know he's now cre- he's now put it in the hands of someone that can create one that he truly can escape from. Yeah, and here's kind of where the movie gets a little muddled with its plot, because mm-hmm. the motivations about why Breslin is is there and why there's certain people that want him there is a little muddled. Like I just said, it's not clearly spelled out, and much of it is revealed 
at the very end, which we will get to. Sure. Uh, and you know, and then he meets what pretty much the reason all of us came to this movie for. He meets another prisoner named Emil Rottmeier, who is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. He gets a nice intro. He breaks up a, a couple of a fight with a couple of guys beaten on uh, Stallone. And and Stallone is not a stranger to prison fights. I mean, we see in the opening sequence that he he stabs a he he lets he redirects the hand of a guy that's about to stab him to stab another guy just to get himself thrown into solitary confinement. So he's yeah, he's he's adept at dealing with fights. He can he can hold his own, but you know Schwarzenegger is there to help out right away. Yeah, and even causing a prison fight is part of his mo. And uh, and. Stallone gives him the fake name he was given for the prison, which is Portos. Portos. Hmm. Which, which, uh... Which could that be a reference? Schwarzenegger uh, notices immediately that this is a, this is the name of the fourth musketeer from Alexander Dumas's book. So, you know, maybe that's important later on down the line. Uh, <laughs> I always thought it was D'Artagnan. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. Um, so... Stallone, once he does realize he's in, you know, pretty deep stuff here, he figures he, you know, he's got to give it his all to break out, and that he's going to have to make some friends quickly. And he makes friends with Schwarzenegger, who he, he refers to as the favor man. Mm-hmm. Uh, because really, the, the their dynamic is that Stallone is this super genius when it comes to prisons, to the point where we can we see through his eyes that he can almost visualize a building as its blueprints. Um, and meanwhile, Schwarzenegger is the guy that can get you whatever you want in the prison. You just have to ask, and you have to owe him something. And he's the Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Stallone's Tim Robbins. Oh, this is very much the raid Shawshank Redemption. Frank Darabout, maybe he has a screenwriting credit in this. <laughs> you would hope. There, there's a line that comes perilously close to get to living or get to dying. Uh, oh, really? I, I don't even remember that. I, I can't even remember the specifics of it, but it's a much muddier version of that line. Um, um, but here on out, the movie just goes into a sequence of events showing how Breslin intends on breaking out. The first thing he does have to do is figure out where the heck they are. Right. Figure out the geography of the place. And through a, through a complicated series of events, some of which you know are pretty well written, uh, he finds out that they are not on any landlocked prison, that this prison is in the middle of some unknown part of the ocean on a freighter ship. Mm -hmm. And uh, he does enlist the help of uh, one of the Muslim inmates, uh, Haved, and he gets him to sort of spy on the surroundings by revealing information about a super criminal, at least alleging to, a -hmm. super criminal named Mannheim, whom Jim Caviezel is after. And whom Arnold works for. Yeah. And that's and that's the whole reason Jim Caviezel seems interested in any of them, is to find Mannheim. Is it, what, what is Mannheim? He's like Julian Assange and... Oh, what's his name? The Ponzi scheme guy. Uh, Bernie Madoff. He's kind of Bernie Madoff and Julian Assange put together, apparently. Yeah, they, they, keep, they just keep talking about how if he's not captured, he's going to rip the international banking market apart. So that so that they all so whoever whoever is at the top of Jim Caviezel's uh, scheme, whoever is his funder, really really wants him captured. Um, so, yeah, I mean that's that's really it for the plot. The rest we can talk about when we get to it. Uh, there are double crosses abound. Oh, absolutely, but that's that's pretty uh, par for the course in these kind of movies. Yeah. And I don't think we've given like a seriously spoilerific rundown so far. No. But we will be. But we will be. So, let, I, I want to start with uh, with the first ridiculous thing I noticed in this movie, yeah. which is, I mean, you know, we we talked about uh, the weird the weird conversations between Fifty Cent and uh, Stallone. Stallone. Yeah. Stallone cannot resist talking to Fifty Cent with finger guns. <laughs> he just really wants to shoot him, or. No, like, like two or three times, he'll say something to him, and he'll just point at him with finger guns. At, at one point, uh, 50 Cent is doing these really... I don't even know what the point of this was, but Stallone walks into the room. 50 Cent is on a computer, and he's got six, like, pieces of cubes. Oh, yeah, and, on his on his monitor. 
And Stallone's like, you make this yourself? That's impressive. You're real smart. And then he, and then he like, just clicks on two of them, and they fight. Like, one is just a pyramid going down, and the other one is, like, a hollowed-out square around a pyramid going inside. He clicks them, and they go, they go together, and he's like, you're smart, but not smart enough. And then he holsters his finger gun like he's just burned him to ruins with well, you're smart, but not smart enough. Curtis Jackson has in real life been shot nine times in his life. <laughs> Maybe that's the reference. I don't know. <laughs> but, but there's another time where they're at the board meeting where they're talking about how he's going to be sent into this prison. And, and 50 Cent says something. And immediately Stallone just points another finger gun at him. And it has been one minute since the last scene where that happened. <laughs> wow. I, I did not <laughs> notice that. Like, he just cannot resist this sassy finger gun thing he's got going with him. It has to be something about, maybe the inside joke. Maybe Stallone finally heard that he's been shot nine times. Or, or it could just be that Stallone wasn't even thinking. He just kept making that acting choice with him. I don't know. It's too close to home, maybe, to 50 Cent. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, yeah, when speaking of when Stallone, when he walks up to uh, the the monitor to uh, reassemble whatever actual easy puzzle, Stallone clearly looked like he didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> and the, this is the director going, ah, oh, sly, you know, we'll we'll just have the the effects boys cook up something that goes together. We'll, we'll edit something onto that screen that you're touching. Yeah, he just looked clearly confused right there. He, he just keeps going, looks good, looks good. You do that by yourself, looks good. Like it, it, and and we have no idea at any point in this movie what the point of Curtis Jackson making uh, cube simulations. Uh, yeah, it's, is it about breaking out of prisons? It's just a funky puzzle. Is on it some Stallone, kind of weird, weird decryption software? Yeah, on Stallone's desk, though, in the movie, he does have like a Rubik's Cube that's already been solved and a couple of the on, cubes... And on Caviezel's desk, you know, he has the uh, the glass cube uh, with the butterfly in it that looks exactly like his prison. Mm-hmm. It so does maybe, maybe cubes are just the imagery. Just prisons being locked up. Foreshadowing. Um, there was a scene, I'll mention, it's right after Stallone breaks out of the first prison in the movie. And he's driving away with uh, is it Amy Adams? Amy Ryan. Amy Ryan's going, not Amy Adams, I'm sorry. Um... And she drops him off by a telephone booth, and he casually walks up to it and holds it to his ear before a bunch of cops show up to arrest him. I really thought it was going to be like a get smart moment where he answers it and he gets pulled underground, like right before the cops show up. But all he's really doing is calling Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, I was was let down. The jig is up. This Uh, movie needed a few more ridiculous moments like that. It did. Well, we, we, we do get some. Oh, they're, they're there. They're there. And ha- if the movie had uh, revealed instead of they're at sea, if they're actually on, like, the moon or something, that would have been wonderfully absurd. It's There's so no way to escape the moon. There's no way to escape. And it could have been, like, the Total Recall 2 we always wanted. <laughs> With Stallone <laughs> helping out Schwarzenegger. That's right. It's actually the future. Welcome to it. Stallone's hair dye. It made me wonder where he was getting all of his HGH, because he was clearly at that prison for a while, and he stays pretty bulky the whole time. Just to keep up the dosage, you know. Early on, it's really difficult, too, to understand why Schwarzenegger is so interested in Stallone. Yeah, it just seems immediately he wants to help this guy out. And he just keeps asking questions like, why are you in prisons? Like, he just really wants to know, like, why Why do you live in prisons all the time? Which... Who would want to spend his life, half your life in prison? I think uh, the warden to the, the initial prison asked Stallone the same question. Yeah, it's it's the defining moment of his character. Yeah. And, uh, and we do get an explanation for it. And we it's... do. It, it goes back to his uh, lawyer career, his prosecutor career. Yes, uh, in which a prisoner uh, that he put away, or a, a convict that he put away to prison, promised him that he was going to break out, and did break broke out within three years. And he doesn't say it explicitly, but the guy killed his wife and son. Yeah, and uh, there's a piece of children's art that Stallone keeps in his desk. Yes, 
And at oh. the beginning of the movie, he draws it on his prison cell. He draws the exact picture of his child's drawing, Good. using the ink from his holy Bible on the prison cell wall, and then he carves it again into the steel table, the lunch table at the uh, at Jim Caviezel's prison, the tomb. Yeah. He, he but he carves it with like a quarter or something. It's <laughs> so he just keeps obsessively redrawing his kid's stick art. You know, I don't think the movie necessarily needed that to give him this tragic backstory because there's not really any payoff to that. No, but it, I, I guess they're trying to give him kind of that Spider-Man Uncle Ben motivation where it's like, you know, mm-hmm. I just want to ma- I want to make the perfect prison where a guy like the one I put away can never break out and kill his lawyer's children. I guess that makes sense. I, I still feel like it was mostly unnecessary or just underused. Well, and at first, before they, they, they went even farther with it, I just thought it was maybe Stallone's form of self-punishment for hmm. something he'd done. But no, that's, it's, it, it's, it, it's, it's explicitly to prevent something like that from happening again. He wants to make the perfect prison, and he gets it in the tomb, and he does not like what he's gotten. Yeah. Have we, have we mentioned yet that the initial title of this movie was The Tomb? Yeah. It's, okay. It was the tomb, and it was written for Bruce Willis. Yeah, uh, this was not a Stallone movie at first at all. It which was might like ex- three years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it's been it's been in the works for a while, um, and it might explain too why this is one of the few movies that Stallone did not give himself a writing credit for. Yeah, it it, it wasn't as vain as a lot of his recent projects have been. Well, and Stallone has a bad habit of, you know, he he's written some movies. I mean, he's ri- he wrote the original Rocky movie, which you know took him really far. Uh, but he's also got a bad habit of putting his name under the writing credits, even if he didn't really write anything. And he'll usually justify it by saying that he improvised a line or something. Mm. Uh, his vanity in that regard goes as far as to when Cobra came out. Uh, a movie he didn't even want to be in at all at first. He demanded a writing credit on the movie, and then he requested that the novelist of the book Cobra was based on take his name off the novel and put Stallone's <laughs> on it. And the, the novelist uh, naturally did not comply with that request <laughs> whatsoever. Stallone, in the future, inspired this novel. But Stallone, yeah, Stallone is not so interested uh, in having a writing credit, and you know it kind of shows in some of the dialogue. Um, I feel Stallone, like Arnold got more of the better scenes, but he, he did. Just, he... Well, no, no, no. I I do feel like the Arnold got the better scenes here, uh, because at least Arnold tries to bring something to it, whereas Stallone delivers some of his sarcastic lines so poorly and it almost seems like it's not like he's doing it a bad job and trying it's just like he's not even trying like at one point uh when arnold asks him do you know who Mannheim is and stallone's like let me think about that no he <laughs> <laughs> mumbles he mumbles a lot of his lines and uh this movie was filmed while his actual son had died mm-hmm. sage stallone Stage alone. Yeah, he was. He died right during the filming. So I mean, it, I can't. At one hand, I can't really blame the guy. I, I yeah, you can't either. And I don't know how far along in production they were in while his son had died. I just yeah. know, like, he had finished shooting the scene in New Orleans where he gets uh, abducted, and then like right after that, someone walked up to him and told him that his son had just died. Yeah, and so I mean that that would have to definitely you know emotionally cripple the guy and probably make him not really care too much about the rest of his scenes. Like he probably did them pretty quickly and then went home. Yeah, just one take and in and out. Uh, I mean, Stallone is fine in the movie. He is, uh, and you know, and I gotta say, I mean, as a as a kid that grew up reading a lot of like the stories of Harry Houdini. Uh, you know, yeah. escaping, escaping prisons, and Sherlock Holmes kind of stories. I, I kind of dig his character here. I don't feel like it goes as far as it could have gone, but I agree. It's, it's interesting to watch. You know, like him try to map out how to break out of a prison. Yeah, he's he's got a, a modus operandi for it. That's kind of interesting to listen to at the beginning. He narrates how to break out of prison. He's he's very he's very observational, and a big part of his observation is is you know very. Uh, Holmesian. Uh, he he observes the prison guards and notices their habits. 
mm-hmm. and and the things they do and how many paces they take when they're on break or how long do they take between you know smoke breaks and so on and so forth. Uh, that that's very difficult in the tomb though because the prison guards are all dressed in black and wearing black masks and they kind of look like militarized versions of uh, the Jabberwockies dance crew from America's Best Dance Crew. They kind of reminded me of the security cops from the first George Lucas's movie THX one one eight. Okay, yeah. Three, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. But it, but it, it really prevents him from getting much bearing on the differences between them because they don't have a he doesn't have a face to attach to them. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean that was part of his challenge, so But and, but he, he, he cracks that admirably. They Yeah. Uh, they, he notices like body types a little bit. Well like like one one tends to scratch his neck and he and Arnold call him hives. And and one they they figure is a new guy because he's he's diver- he's darting his eyes around a lot more and looking nervous and trying to be really good at it and they call him the chicken man and so on. The the scenes where it's just Stallone and or Arnold planning out their escapes I think are the most interesting and it kind of calls back to uh, First Blood where I thought the first the best scenes in that movie were Stallone setting up traps. Yes, it's just really cool. I agree. Um, you definitely see. Well, for example, uh, Arnold's part in this, as you know, as we said, was the favor man. So Arnold will purposely call Jim Caviezel uh, in to an interrogation room and get and like allow himself to be waterboarded just because he knows there's a piece of metal on the floor of the torture room that is that fits that description and brings it back. Mm-hmm. That that was a pretty entertaining scene. Just Caviezel asked Arnold, "Where's Mannheim?" Arnold goes, I'll "Draw you a diagram or." a map or something and he draws he an ass to be an artist he draws an ass with an arrow pointing to it <laughs> it's, it's a very crude drawing too. Uh, the, the everyone in the theater laughed at that part it was good yeah. it was good uh and arnold delivers it but um arnold, yeah there arnold's the most entertaining he's been in a long time he is really. absolutely I, I mean i think this is more of a return to form as far as his humor goes than maybe even the last stand was the last stand, yeah, well. I mean, but it's the, but the last stand is a much better action movie for Arnold, and maybe that comes down to what one of the bigger problems of the movie is: is that it fares good as a buddy movie between Stallone and Schwarzenegger, but as an action movie, it delivers very little. It it, it falls to the trappings of a lot of modern action thrillers, uh, the shaky cam, and the fact that the camera zoomed way too closely. And I know well, Stallone. Sloan was injured a little bit during the filming. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, well, and that and these these two guys are no spring chickens anymore. No, uh, Arnold even said in an interview, when, but right before he made his big comeback, I think about a year ago or or whenever that whole made uh, conspiracy thing came out. Scandal. Scandal. Yeah, I shouldn't say conspiracy, but uh, he said that he was just very open. He goes, you know, filming, you know, big action scenes and fight scenes, they just aren't possible for me anymore. Because he's and since then he's had you know at least one heart surgery, and he was an athlete for a long time. It, it's just not gonna happen. And Arnold doesn't do a whole lot of like hand-to-hand combat. Most of that is left up to Stallone's character. And even Stallone's big fight with Vinnie Jones uh, is mostly in the shadows and with a lot of cuts. So there's there's clearly a lot of stuntman usage going on. Mm-hmm. And but it, it's it still works. Um, but I want to I want to bring up one scene in particular, which is that uh, a big part of Stallone's plans to break out of most prisons seems to be to get himself thrown into solitary. That that always seems to do the trick for him. Yeah, because he because that's where he's he's he surveyed the least. Uh, but this prison has a fairly unique um, solitary confinement area, which is that one one of the walls of the room are these massive the, yeah, halogen bulb lights. Yeah. Yeah, that just kind of dehydrate you and fry you. And I, I very much, you know, given Caviezel's bug obsession, thought that it was like uh, a magnifying glass to an insect. Uh, that makes a lot of sense, actually. So, so, but yeah, he, but uh, both Arnold and Stallone get thrown in because, you know, he tells he tells uh, Arnold that he needs to be in the solitary for a few minutes to get the lay of it. And with this round metal thing that he has a plan to, he's going to, He's gonna melt the floor or something. It's a pretty complicated plan, but it, it mm. works. But uh, we get a fairly incredible scene here, and not because of the action, but because of, of Arnold. Arnold's acting in that scene. Uh, it's 
probably might be my favorite scene in the whole movie. Arnold starts, he goes nuts inside of his container and he starts screaming in German and giving like, uh, he starts praying in German. He gives like the Lord's Prayer. And I've, I've never heard Arnold this clearly speak in German before. And he's shockingly a stronger actor. Yes. Well, it is the most natural I have ever seen Schwarzenegger. Yeah, that, 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 that's what I should have said. He's the most nat. It's the most natural you've ever heard Arnold speak. It, he there's none of the stiffness that you get from his English acting. None of the stiltedness. Like it is. It is just like you get. You feel that it's a man in pain, or who at least is acting that way to stall. Yeah. And draw attention to to himself. It really makes me wish Arnold had been Hugo Stiglitz in Inglorious Bastards. Was that part of the original plan for that movie? I think I think it was like in the early 2000s when Tarantino okay. was in the before initial the, stages. Uh, before the politics and everything. Yeah, and I think this is back when they wanted like Adam Sandler in the movie like and Michael Madsen. It was going to be a very different movie. But gotcha. It would have been awesome to see Arnold in a World War II movie speaking German and being like a badass then. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but he is, I would say he's incredible here. I mean, that's, it's some of the best acting I've ever seen out of Arnold. He should, he should take a note from that and go, you know what? That was pretty good there. Maybe I should make a movie in German. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. So, I mean, but the, of course that's how they discover that the ship, is, the, the, uh, the prison's on a ship because Stallone's able to escape and, uh, a bunch of water from a ballast comes in and almost drowns the prison, like the prisoners in the solitary and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I, I want to bring up one of the other really clunky scenes that cracked me up. Um, and it, it is... <laughs> unintentionally, right? Unintentionally, yeah. Um, Stallone befriends the prison doctor, played by Sam Neill, from, uh, who's Dr. Ellen Grant in Jurassic Park. Hmm. He kind of has nothing to do in this movie. He kind of doesn't, but every time Stallone Stallone keeps telling him, you know what's going on here is wrong, I want you to remember your oath. (laughs) And every time, like, he'll keep faking stomach pains because he knows whenever he's near the doctor, he's not being surveilled, at least for that long. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and he, so he keeps saying, remember your oath, doc, remember your oath. And they cut to, I shit you not, Sam Neill drinking, opened to the first page of his medical ethics textbook, reading the Hippocratic Oath. <sighs> he has <sighs> forgotten what was in that oath, and now that, oh, Stallone keeps, now that Stallone keeps telling him he should remember it, he no longer cares that he's getting paid an absurd amount of money to be the doctor of this supermax prison paid for by Blackwater. <laughs> it was all about that oath all along. He just it was forgot. all about that oath. So he, you know, he, of course, assists in the breakout. But just the absurdity of watching this man flipping through the Hippocratic Oath, like, looking at it like, oh, shit, he was right, is the best thing. And why was it the best thing? It's just it's just the absurdity of it. Like, they, they really worried that if they didn't hammer it home and show him reading the oath, that we wouldn't believe that he was a good person yeah. or that he could have a change of heart. That was the kind of subtle directing we were offered here, wasn't it? It's it's it was it's like having a guy look at an American flag and go, you know what? I should do the right thing. Uh, well, when you put it that way, this is what it's all about. Uh, you know, and you, you mentioned the subtle directing. Uh, the director is uh, Mikhail Hafstrom, who, uh, to my knowledge, has not done any action before, but has done some really abysmally bad uh, horror movies. Uh, he's, most... he's just a director for hire kind of guy. Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, you know, he's mostly known for uh, the not so great Stephen King adaptation, fourteen oh eight. Most. Uh, it was a January release. You know what that means? Yeah. Uh, most recently, he was known for um, the right. The another one of the a line of. Another one in a terrible line of bad exorcism movies. But with uh, good actors. Yeah, star, this one starred Anthony Hopkins. Uh, and the writers, uh, one writer, uh, his only previous credit was a direct-to-video sequel to Roadhouse. I and, didn't even know that existed. And the other writer, I'm on an action podcast. The other writer was an executive producer for A Good Day to Die Hard. And, <laughs> uh, and he wrote the... Uh, 
the script to the Julia Roberts Snow White movie Mirror Mirror. So that is that is the caliber of people we're working with here. And <laughs> and I, I would argue that all of them turned out something better than they've ever done before. So they should give themselves a pat on the back for that it is, one. But... It is a sign of improvement. Um, originally, this movie was to be directed by Antoine Fuqua. I think he's a, he would have been a much more interesting choice. That's when it was going to be a Bruce Willis picture, though. What, what would uh, the people out there know uh, Anton Fuqua from? He was the man behind Training Day. And... I want to say most... No, he didn't do Man on Fire. That was Tony Scott. Yeah. I take that back. But Training Day, I think, is a, is a credential enough yeah. show. Yeah, he's he's a much higher caliber director. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, let's, let's talk about then, I guess, the ultimate twist of it all. Um, yeah, this is real, really right at the tail end of the movie. Mm-hmm. After Arnold and Stallone stage a miraculous escape, and Arnold said his great one-liner that I can't remember, but it was so purely Arnold, it was the only mo- only time in the movie I laughed out loud in the theater. It was well, like, well, you know, let's let's talk about that shooting scene real quick. Yeah. When they're when they're trying to break out. When I was in the theater, there is a scene in which Arnold Schwarzenegger gets a machine gun as he's about to board the helicopter. In slow motion, the audience behind me started chuckling in anticipation. It's not because anything spectacular is about to happen. It's just because they have this these feelings for Arnold. Like it's it's completely riding on the coattails of what Arnold is and what he was, Mm -hmm. and and you know and arguably. This movie would have meant even less than it did without those two stars. Like, I don't even know if we'd be talking about it. I probably wouldn't. I wouldn't have seen it. I wouldn't have paid attention to this movie had it not been for the stars. And Arnold, yeah, he doesn't do anything spectacular. He just he gets a big machine gun and shoots a couple of guys. I mean, not even, and it's not even a, it's not even a patch on, say, the really spectacular machine gun scene from Rambo Four. Yeah, like, it's not Wild Bunch level or anything. It's it's just very bog standard shooting a couple guys with a machine gun left and right. <laughs> but that is that that I guess your point is that that's the power of, you know, what these guys have meant to us growing mm-hmm. up. Oh yeah, I mean definitely this is you know that's a case where the nostalgic lenses are on. Yeah, full blast. Full blast. I mean, and you know, and again, like this movie would have been more spec. Like I enjoyed this movie for what it is. You know, I I I did temper my expectations down quite a bit. Uh, before I went and saw it, but I, did too. I, I think like if this if they had made this movie twenty years ago at their prime, it would be some classic. I agree. It, it it makes me a little sad. It's like Indiana Jones four. It was just a missed opportunity. They did way too late. Yeah. Twenty years uh, too late. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you you mentioned uh, that they okay. The what the scene though that reminds me of what you were talking about with. Wanting to see uh, Stallone get sucked up into a phone booth, a la Get Smart, mm-hmm. is that he is that Stallone stuffs himself into a tank, like a water tank that's filling back up, and it ejects him into the ocean. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> and Schwarzenegger in the helicopter sees him swimming. Yeah, which which is such a gamble. And uh, and you know, Caviezel gets blown up with uh, because uh, Stallone dangling from a rope ladder shoots a bunch of red barrels with a pistol. I think I think Arnold gave the final shot. It was like a team effort to shoot Jim Caviezel to pieces. Well, but Caviezel just gives the most pathetic hmm and shrugs as he's about to get blown up. <laughs> Although they do they do show a charred body land back on the barrels, which was a nice little touch. That was. Uh, this isn't a particularly like gr- graphically violent movie or anything. No. It's definitely an R, but it's like a really tame Cobra or Raw deal. This this keeps being called a macho movie, but I feel like it's kind of a low testosterone action movie. Yeah, this is definitely this could be a Cialis commercial. Only near the <laughs> bathtubs. Or maybe one of those weird Viagra commercials where it's like a guy out by himself trying to light a fire. <laughs> it's, 
And then he gets his buddy Arnold to come yeah, over Ar- and Arnold, really light that and fire. The, yeah, Arnold lights the fire at the end, and boy, does he ever light it. <laughs> Blows all those barrels up, and he says something, something, asshole. See you around, asshole. Yeah, yeah. something. It's... It, it, it felt like such prime Arnold. And what you were talking about with that built-in nostalgia... And I just got a big smile on my face and laughed out loud when he did that. It's like that's the Arnold I know and love. I yes, I grew up with. Uh, but I, that does take us to the final twist of the movie. Mm-hmm. Which, okay, so first of all, we've seen in slightly earlier scenes that Fifty Cent and Amy Ryan have been trying to find out what happened to Stallone. Mm-hmm. They they really want to know, but every time they try, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio blocks their efforts and says, don't worry about it, the CIA has a plan. Yeah, just to make their scenes a little more worthless. Yeah. But D'Onofrio, we learn, was working with Jim Caviezel because mm. the, for whatever reason they wanted to find out Mannheim's identity and whereabouts. So it turns out... It turns out... Oh, by the way, too, uh, Caviezel comes to realize that Stallone is really Breslin, the guy who wrote the book on his desk. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't affect anything because D'Onofrio is like, you keep him in there until he rots and dies. Kind of for no reason. Kind of for no reason. Other than that we learn that apparently D'Onofrio is being offered a $5 million annual salary for in exchange for keeping... Breslin behind bars, and that the prison, the tomb was for profit. I don't. It's never really clear who was going to pay. This, him. this is one of the biggest problems in the whole movie. Yeah, because it, it doesn't really make sense why he's there. But yeah, so we find out that the uh, while well, they land, uh, Schwarzenegger and Stallone land on a beach, mm-hmm. and a SUV rides up, and it's being driven by a uh, little Miss CIA agent from the beginning of the movie. And it turns out Arnold all along was Mannheim. And, and he even says, you should have seen it coming. It's like he almost winks at the camera when he says it, too. And I really appreciated that. And Stallone, uh, Stallone almost looks guilty for kind of flirting with this really young woman. Yeah. But uh, it, it reve- it's revealed that she's uh, Mannheim's daughter, because yeah. still, uh, Arnold does mention he has a daughter. Sure. But here's the thing. Okay, so they reveal that the name that he had in prison, Portos, was the code word they had set up so that whenever Schwarzenegger met someone in the prison named Portos, he would know it was the guy that she had hired to break him out. Now he's the escape master. Which means that Schwarzenegger is the one that put... Stallone in the prison, mm-hmm. but they were not the ones that were offering D'Onofrio $5 million. So, that keeps it really confusing for me, though. Yeah, because we have no idea who hired D'Onofrio. And, but so, okay, so Stallone, Stallone's book is what inspired the design of the prison. Yes. He's put in the prison... Um, but bec- as, as as part of a plan by Mannheim and his daughter to break Mannheim out. Yeah, but Mannheim, the people who have Mannheim don't know Mannheim is Mannheim. Yeah, they they just think he's some other guy that works for Mannheim. Yeah, it's kind of like Rachel Ghoul and Batman Begins, I guess. I, I yeah. don't know. He he he's the Julian Assange whose face nobody knows. <laughs> he's Banksy. Yeah, that's right. He's yes, he's the Banksy of uh. Destroying international banking. Yes. And whatever else he can get his tentacles on. Uh, this is the... yeah. And, not... Dinof- and D'Onofrio doesn't even get his comeuppance from Stallone. Uh, that when his team finds him, 50 Cent drugs him and then puts stuffs him and his car into, an, into a very hot shipping container on a freighter ship. Yeah, so he may or may not starve to death on this freighter. Or boil or something. Yeah. It's kind of sadistic, actually. It is, it is. And and, and presumably, you know, Sloan just keeps going on running this company and breaking out of more prisons. And it brings up, like, one of his really terrible 
reoccurring jokes about how the woman who works for him he's flirty with is a terrible cook. Yeah, I don't that, know. It's that's, like what, that, that's, what, that's what passes for characterization for the side characters in this movie. It, it reminded me of his Judge Dredd movie where his catchphrase was, I kid you not, I knew you'd say that. Oh. <laughs> Judge Dredd would never say that unless his but, name was Stallone. That's right, but Stallone would. Yeah. So, Jeez. let me ask you, would you recommend this movie? Um, I recommend this as a movie that will inevitably be a ubiquitous FX movie. That's right. Yeah, this is going to be a staple of the USA Network. Yeah. In a couple of years. I, I would not... I, I enjoyed don't spend myself. money on it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed myself, but I, don't, I am not saying rush out to the theater. I'm not saying get it on DVD or even rent it. But if it's on TV and you got two, you know, you've got two hours to kill, there's... There's worse ways to pass your time. It It's entirely dependent upon how big of a fan of these guys you are. Yeah. And we're both big fans. Sure. And even we didn't think this was like the greatest movie ever made because it's definitely not. It leaves a lot to be desired. And it's just kind of generic, you know. But as a, as a silly B-action movie, I mean, I, I found myself chuckling at the things I mentioned and probably some other things I've left yeah, out. Yeah, and I was legitimately entertained by a lot of the stuff that goes on in the movie. But, but if you're if you're expecting you know if you're expecting a stellar script or something on par with you know uh, the Terminator films or the Rambo you know like the no, later Rambo those films are, those things, movies are never going to happen again no, you just got to accept that right well you know I th- man did you see the trailer when you were in the theater for that awful looking uh, comedy movie that Stallone's doing with De Niro oh Grudge Match uh... that that's kind of a taste of things to come. Yeah, I can't there, believe De Niro's doing that or has done it. Oh yeah, it's. I mean, I guess the joke is that it's gonna be Raging Bull, Bull versus, versus Rocky. Rocky, but it's it's all played for laughs, and all the laughs are that they're too old to be doing this anymore. I thought all the laughs were targeted on Kevin Hart. Just it looks really terrible. I'm not going to see it. No. Uh. But you know what? That's. I mean, that's escape plan. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Escape Plan is probably gonna be. It's probably better than that. What movie? That that movie's going to be. I hate to say. But what? but I, I think that pretty much wraps things up here. Yeah. Um, oh, but I, I did want to comment on you know. You know, seeing a movie like this is kind of a drag in a way because, action films, typically operate in one of two ways. Not all the time, and when they don't, they have to be pretty damn good which this movie unfortunately is not they operate as either like sort of an escapist vicarious entertainment like you can kind of assign yourself to be you know you want to be indiana jones you want to be neo i don't know you can just see yourself as this person and this it's like an old guy and it's an old guy trying to pretend he's like hugh jackman or something I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with like having an old guy. No, I'm not hero. saying that. There's nothing wrong with that. Like the movie can be really good. Like take a look at a lot of uh, Clint Eastwood's movies when he was older, yeah. uh, or even a movie like The Wild Bunch, where they're all older guys in it. But I uh, guess in this case, you're you're kind of hitting on the fact that like it's old guys trying to be much younger than they are. Yeah, they're trying to be something they're not. And then that's where it becomes, like, in Stallone's case, I don't think it was so much Arnold's problem. And that's why I think I ended up liking him a lot more in the movie. I think I think in Stallone's case, he's just trying to channel, like, younger actors. Mm-hmm. And it's depressing to say that. It's depressing to think about it. And I hate yeah. to end this episode on a sour note like that. Well, you know, I mean, this this movie kind of inspired a lot of reactionary headlines. I mean, I I did a pretty quick Google search of the consensus, and like I saw articles that were written four hours before we recorded saying, "Is Escape Plan the death of the macho action movie?" Mm-hmm. Like, uh, or, or or like headlines like uh, "Why Stallone and Schwarzenegger are no longer stars." Yeah, well, uh, Arnold took a big break, and even before that break, it was. He had made a string of very mediocre movies before the break. And the best one of those since... He hadn't had a really good action movie since True Lies. Yeah. The best one of those since True Lies, I thought, was uh, Terminator 3, which wasn't, you know, spectacular, but it was entertaining. Uh, Other than that, he had, like, collateral damage, the sixth day, you know, pretty forgettable garbage. 
And Stallone, I think, had sort of sort of knocked it out of the park with his two big franchises because Rocky Six and Rambo Four are both excellent. Yeah. Um, I, in fact, I, I would I would venture to say Rambo Four is the best of the series. I, I still say First Blood is. Uh, I mean, not just because it's the first one, and it's easy to say that, but I thought the Rambo character was the most interesting in that one, setting up traps and like emphasizing like his stealth abilities. Sure. In Rambo 4, he's kind of like a blunt instrument, and he's like a hired goon. But I, I, still, think it's goon. A, I still think it's a spectacularly filmed movie, and a, a oh, yeah. high achievement for him, Like especially at the at the age and the era he was at then. But ever since then, it's been you know him making an endless stream of Expendables movies. I mean, number three is coming, and, that's, and the whole point of that is just an old dog and pony show. It's pretty much the buzzfeed of 80s and 90s action, where it's like, remember this guy? Remember this guy? Mm. Only 80s and 90s action kids will will know about this guy. And Well, that's what I was saying earlier, that thankfully Escape Plan was not this vanity project kind of movie. Well, and I mean, like, I, I think, you know... This is just a script they were sort of retrofitted into. I mean, as you said, this was supposed to be a Bruce Willis movie. Instead, they instead it's definitely a big part of the marketing that this is the movie that brings Stallone and Schwarzenegger together at last. Yeah. I, I mean, would like to see them do another movie with a much more competent director who knows how to utilize uh, their ages and their physical capabilities at this point in their lives. Because I still think they have good movies in them. They're just yes. going to be. They're not going to be. Rambo and the Terminator anymore. They just can't. And maybe they need to realize that too. Yeah. Uh, but you know, but hey, Schwarzenegger told Stallone at the end of the movie, I hope I never see you again. Hmm. <laughs> Was that ad libbed? <laughs> you wonder. I wonder too. Well, I think that's about all we have to do for today. And I hope we do see you guys again. Please. Um, next time, we've got a treat for you. Or is it a trick, Casey? Ah, well, you know, next time we're just going to have to follow the rules and make sure that we get treats only. Indeed. We've got a special Halloween episode. And I think this is the episode we're going to record live uh, together because uh, you may or may not know, we record this across the internet through the magic of Skype uh, a couple states apart, but we're going to be hanging out this weekend, so I think we're going to record our trick-or-treat episode uh, live and in person. Excellent. Can't wait to do it. Can't wait to hear from y'all. Um, we are on iTunes. Yeah, uh, we are on iTunes. Check us out and share us with your friends and comment and tell us what you think. And hey, please write some reviews on iTunes. We don't have any yet. I mean, we've, got, we've gotten some ratings, but uh, reviews, especially positive ones, really help people get to notice the show on iTunes that might not otherwise give us a look. Yes. There, are a lot of, there are a lot of movie shows out there, but, you know, uh, I, I like to think that we do a pretty good job of this. I mean, we definitely at least invest a lot of ourselves into it. And... Yeah, I, we have more to offer, too. Yeah. <laughs> We can't wait to uh, do more martial arts movies, more like lesser-known horror films. Mm-hmm. Just lots of great stuff to talk about, to entertain and inform. And, one... and so that we can keep seeing movies like Escape Plan so that you don't have to. Absolutely, absolutely. And unless you, like, you're really hungover Sunday morning and Escape Plan's on FX, That's right. you might not have anything better to do at that time. Mm-hmm. Especially if you don't get FXX and you can't watch Always Sunny in Philadelphia anymore. Uh, oh, really? They moved it? Yeah, they moved it. Oh, I, I know they moved it. Well, anyways. Anyways. <laughs> well, right, as it's... always, uh, I'm I'm Burton Cody. I'm Casey Mitchum. And this has been Bloodbath and Beyond. Stay bloody. All right. Take care, y'all. <laughs> You're like a vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs>